0: Laszista, 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 Nasus na kaszliak, 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 nasus Good evening, thank you for coming tonight, Parshas Svayetze. Before we begin tonight's class, I have a very, very, very exciting announcement to announce. Bezrat Hashem, with God's help, in about 11 days, about a week and a half, a little over a week and a half, on Sunday night, December 18th, the night going to the 19th of Kislev, Yutes Kislev, Mayon for the first time, Yutes Kislev is the yard site of the Holy Magid, the successor of the Holy Balshemtov, founder of Hasidus. And it is the Day of the Liberation, the Reb Zalman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad, Hasidus. And uh, the author of the Tanya, the Shulchan Aruch, um, it's a day that the energy of Hasidus is on its, in its most intense form, and as a consequence of that, the energy of Mashiach is so highlighted because Hasidus is the gateway to Mashiach. So um, being that we are mish- expecting Mashiach now any moment... So for the first time, we are going to have a huge Mayan celebration for the entire city of Los Angeles. It's not going to be over here. It's going to be in the Nessa Center. We are going to have a big concert with um, we're bringing a uh, with Yona Razel from Yerushalayim, who is going to be singing and it's going to be pure inspiration and elevation, and it's going to be a delight. So, this is for men, women, children, everyone. Um, 8 o'clock, December 18th. Look out, you'll have me- emails and every other way we can possibly think of reaching you. Uh, look out for that. Uh, tickets will be on sale at our website, myon.com. So, please notify your friends, take that um, email that you get, or whichever, and every channel you have, that you can use that to invite people. Because it is going to be a very, very, very powerful, powerful evening, um, and um, it'll it definitely increase and hasten the coming of Mashiach. The more people will connect to that powerful light on that night. Um, anybody that is interested in helping us out with sponsorships, um, I am um, uh, open. Uh, we 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 went. We went out way above ourselves to do this, and at, at this point we don't have the sponsorships yet, but I know for sure that uh, it will come about. But uh, if anybody's interested, please let me know. Okay, um, this week is Parshas um, Ayetzeh, and before we begin, just the dedications on tonight's class. The shear this week was dedicated by the Lizak family. This is in honor of their mother, and grandmothers, um I think which is tonight, right? On um, The sixth of Kislev, Sarah Masya, Bashmuel Shloima Halevi. May her neshama have a greatest aliyah to the greatest of heights, and may she channel down lots of brachas to you and the whole family for all that you need in the material and in the spiritual. Much, much, much mazel bracha, parnasa bachava, and only, only good things, Simchas, and the entire family. Thank you so much. Another dedication this week was by Yoel Pesso. He um, has dedicated tonight's class plus all the classes of the week. He's dedicated a week at Mayon Yisroel. So I want to thank him so much for that dedication. May Hashem bless him with bracha maruba ad and y'nishnas bracha v'atzlacha, and only Mazel, only good things to you, y'all, uh, for you and um, your family, and only, only good things. Thank you so much. Another dedication tonight on the class was by Izzy Bistamski and family. This is in honor of a grandfather's site. Rabbi Yisroel, um, Ben, hold on over here. I Think Rabbi Yisroel and Avram, Avram Yitzchak. I'm going to write it down for me here. Rabbi Yisrael Avram Yitzchak and also a Yid who was killed, I think, together with him in the ghetto. Avram, his name was Avram Milner. We don't have his name. Um, these two perished together. Al-Kiddush Hashem. May their Nushamas have a very great aliyah. May they channel lots of brachas to the entire Bistamsky family for only good and all those that have uh, departed and uh, will definitely come back the first by the coming of Mashiach. Um, also for an ants yard site, Gassia Bas Rebbe Yisrael. May this be for an alias neshama for her as well. Okay, thanks to all those who have dedicated. Okay. This week is Parshas Vayetzeh. And because we are right before the Yotas Kislev um and the day in which we celebrate Hasidus, I think tonight's class will give everyone the understanding of the richness, the depth, the importance of Hasidus in our lives. How how it opens up such doors to, to connecting to Hashem in such an elevated way. It takes Yiddishkeit from you know, it, it, it gives us access. It gives us access to to such refinement to simple people but yet it, it, it refines our attitudes more than anything else you know there is a that you do and then you refine your character that takes already a lot of avoda avodah api but even before you do any of that just the learning of it the studying listening to these classes and learning other chasidis, and this refines the attitude it, 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 it elevates one's whole perspective to be so pure as we take a look in tonight's class, we're going to go very deep tonight. And Hashem should help that we should be able to cover what we need to cover. Um, but the ideas, they're so profound and they're so fundamental, yet um, hopefully understandable. Okay. This week the Torah tells us how Yaakov was running away from his brother Esau and he was sent by his father to go to Haran, uh, to Laban's house. And on the way, when he leaves he passes through a very holy place, the holiest of all places, Hare Maria, or like Rashi says, he had actually gone further, and then the mountain came towards him, or whatever it was, he ended up on the mountaintop, on the hilltop, and not knowing how special the place was, because it wasn't even in the right place. It jumped, it was uprooted the mountain, and it came to him. Anyways, the sun set before its time, Yaakov went to sleep, and he was kind of tired, because he hasn't slept for 14 years before that, now he went to sleep and in his sleep he has this phenomenal dream and God comes to him in the dream and God promises him these incredible, incredible promises how he's going to protect him and guard him and watch over him and um, and he's going to increase him and uh, you're going to break all the borders to the or to all four directions your children are going to be numerous oh, unbelievable things Hashem tells him then Yaakov wakes up and he's enamored, he's awed by the, the experience that just happened to him. He's completely overwhelmed by what happened. And he says, How awesome is this place? Had I known how holy this place was, that this is the gateway to heaven, I wouldn't have slept over here. And then, he, in this sense of gratitude to God, he wants to promise, make a promise to Hashem, that he wants to give God something very special. He says, I want to promise you something. But he makes a condition before the promise. And in the condition, he lists a whole bunch of things which he hopes that God will do for him. Most of the things that he's asking God to do for him, God had already promised him that he will do for him. So Yaakov is saying, If you will really keep your word and do so so, which of course all the commentaries say, What is he doubting God? Meaning to say, despite the fact that I might not be worthy, I might I might be deserving to forfeit these promises, yet you will keep these promises that you're promising me, then I promise you in return, I will do so, 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 and so. Okay? Um, what does he promise to Hashem? Um, generally, he says that I'm going to... He slept on a stone. He, was, he put 12 stones around his head. The miracle happened. They became one stone. Now it's a big stone. So he takes that stone and he says, this stone is going to be the house of God. He promises, really. He's promising Hashem a Beis HaMikdash. He's dedicating the Beis HaMikdash. Like a person promises a building, I'm going to build a building for so and so. Yaakov promises the ultimate house for God. The Beis HaMikdash, Beis HaLokim. Azais, this stone is going to be the house of Hashem. And everything that you give me, all of my, I will tithe, I will give you back. Tzedakah, Asr, Asr, and emuch. Fine. now, um, the fact that Yaakov makes conditions and he says, "Hashem, if you will do so and so, then I will do so and so," might sound a little distasteful for someone like Yaakov, such a big tzaddi. What is he making conditions with Hashem? If you will do, it's almost like, Hashem, please give me so and so, and 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 if you really you want me to bribe you for 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 you taking care of me and giving me food, and take, then I will promise that I will do so and so. That's very unbefitting for Yaakov. I mean if someone says, you know what, Hashem, make me prosperous in my business, and if you make me prosperous in my business, I'm going to keep Shabbos. It's distasteful for a Jew. It doesn't work that way. You keep Shabbos. If Hashem is going to give you prosperity, that's nice. Especially for Yaakov Avino, you know, a grandson of Avram, who the Rambam says about Avram Avinu you know, that he's the perfect example of someone who served God out of love, not for any reward. So obviously we have to understand that it doesn't mean that Yaakov wanted food, and he wanted clothing, and he wanted protection and security. And then he says, Hashem, you know what? If you're nice to me, I'll, I'll do something for you. It's the opposite. Yaakov's heart and soul is ablaze and he wants to give God the ultimate gift. He wants to give Hashem a neder, a promise. These things that he says, conditions for them, these are necessities. He cannot keep his promise without Hashem giving him these basic things from him to be able to fulfill his promise. So again, what's on Yaakov's mind is the promise, is the neder that he makes. What he needs in order to be able to do that is so, so, and so and so and so that he can fulfill his promise. Fine. That's the objective. Now the thing that's a little unclear that's hard is when you read the psukim, this whole condition and and the promise that he makes covers I think three psukim. Yeah, um, yeah, three chaf. Yeah, three psukim the last three psokim in chapter 28 in Perek Chav Ches. Uh, uh, Pasik Chav, Chav Aleph and Chav Beis verse 20, 21 and 22. Yaakov makes a neder. I'm going to read the neder to you. I'll read the promise. What does he say? So again, even though it says he makes a promise, he first makes a tenai, a condition for the promise. And what is that? Number one, if Hashem will be with me, and He will guard me on this on this journey that I am going, that I am on this journey. And he will give to me bread to eat, to beg and clothing to wear. That's the first Pasuk. Then the next Pasuk, I will return peacefully to my father's house. Hashem will be to me for a God. And now the last verse, Pasuk Chav and this stone, that I have placed as a matzeva, as a corner, as a, um, a matseva is a, to translate matseva, uh, like an altar, like a, a monument, that's what it is, yeah. The stone that I've placed as a monument, is going to be a house for God. Whatever you give me, I will tithe to you. Fine. That's, so, You see over here clearly that part of it is a condition and part of it is a promise. What's not clear in the pasuk is where the conditions end and the promise begins. You see, the beginning is definitely a condition. He says to Hashem, if you will protect me, if you'll give me food, clothing, these are all things he needs from God. I will return to my father's house peacefully. He's continuing to ask for protection. Guard me, watch over me So that I can go back to my father's house Peacefully Now, in the last pasuk This stone is going to be a home for God That is definitely not part of the condition That is his promise What am I going to give you God? I'm going to give you a home I'm going to build you a home in this world I'm going to make this stone a home for you Everything you will give me I will tithe to you That's part of the promise What he is giving now, the question, however, it is, where it is not clear, is the middle words of the middle Pasuk, it says, Hashem And God will be for me as a, for a God. Those couple of words, and God will be for me as a God, what is that? Is that part of what he is dedicating to Hashem? Meaning to say, God, I promise you, you will be my God. That's one way of seeing it. That this is his, this is his declaration of what he's going to give to Hashem. That he's going to make God his God. Or that's part of the conditions. If you will return me to my father's house peacefully, and you will be my God, then the stone that I have made a matzeva, uh, then that will be. I will. I will. I will. I will. I will make that into a house of Hashem. So again, the question we have is on the words. What does that belong to? Does that belong to the beginning of the Pasuk, which is part of the conditions? Or does that belong already to the last Pasuk, even though it's in the middle Pasuk? It belongs already to the last Pasuk because it's part of the promises that He is making. Now this question is a matter of dispute between Rashi and Ramban, the two greatest commentaries on the Chumash, Rashi and Achmanides. They argue on what V'hoi Hashem li Lokim is. Rashi learns that it's part of the conditions. Rashi says, If you will bestow your name upon me. He's not saying, I will do something. He's asking, if you will put your name upon me. What, from when to when? From the very beginning, meaning from now. And that you will keep your name upon me. Till the very end. Meaning to say, how, what does the very end mean? for all of eternity, that there will not be any defect in my children, there will not be any faulty children, not like my father and grandfather, who produced uh, negative, who produced children that were not uh, the way they were supposed to be, Esau and Yishmael, but if I will have a perfect family, then what? All holy children, then what? Okay, that's what he means, you will be... You will be my God. You will keep your name upon me. That's something that he's asking from Hashem. He's asking Hashem's protection. That's how Rashi learns. Ramban, argues. And he says, And so also follows uh, the Rebbeinu Bahaya Also follows that. Well, let me find the Ramban. This is not a condition like Rashi says. This is not a condition like Rashi says this itself is part of the neder. this is part of the promise then you what does it mean base of if i will return to my father's house if you again what's part of the promise the last part of the condition was what he says in the beginning of the passage if i return to my father's house then what hashem i will serve god where are B'eratzhan Kharas. I will serve Hashem. Hashem Hashem is going to be to me as a God. Where will I proclaim God's name? Where will I serve him? I will make for him a base HaMikdash. This stone is going to be the cornerstone of the ultimate base HaMikdash. And over there I will serve him. So Vahoy Hashem Lee lelokim is part of the service of what I will do. That's how Ramban learns. Following Rashi and the Ramban, it continues the arguments, meaning there are those commentators, commentators who team up with Rashi, like Rashi's grandson, the Bam, also learns like Rashi, while others uh, choose to follow the Ramban's path. Rabbeinu Bechaya, Safarnu, uh Redak, I think, uh, Hiskuni, uh, many follow the Ramban, that's part of the promise. Fine. So we need to understand, number one, why is the Torah so vague? in putting this somehow in a way that it can be interpreted like this or it can be interpreted like that. It should have been... I mean, obviously it's very important to understand what's going on over here. Why did the Torah leave this for different commentators to, to be able to this to like, uh, to like lean it this way or that way? Why not uh, say it in a way that's kind of... Well, why does Yaakov say it in a way that's clear what he means in the Vahay Hashem Li Then we also need to understand... What is the deeper reason of their argument? What are they really arguing about? Why does Rashi want to see, see it as part of the conditions? And Nachmanides, Ramban, sees it as part of the promise. What, what is the deeper meaning in this, in this argument? The other thing is, according to Ramban, who says that it's part of the promise, we need to understand how come then this is not the beginning of the next pasuk. Being that the last pasuk is where Yaakov is listing all of his promises, then this should have been listed as part of the next Pasuk. It should have began the Pasuk, the last Pasuk, Hashem I promise you God, you will be my God, where I, this stone is going to be the base HaMikdash, Beis HaLokim, and that's where you're going to be my God. That would make sense. Especially since, not only does this belong in the next Pasuk, because it is part of the promises that he's making, but in addition to that, this promise is actually one and a part of the next promise. What's the next promise? The next promise is He says, I will make for you a home, I will build for you a base of English, but what will I do there? You will be my God over there. So obviously it should have been said in a one Pasuk. Instead, it says it in the previous Pasuk, which seems to imply that for whatever reason, even according to Nachmanides, even according to the Ramban, this idea that Hashem is to me as a God has more relationship to what he says before that, even though what he says before that is part of the part of the condition, not part of the promise. Meaning, it's it has it's it's, it's it has an association with the idea of a shafti I'll return to my father's house. So all of this needs some commentary. All this needs to be understood. So um, we know that the story of Yaakov going to Haran Mirrors and reflects everything that is going to happen in history. It reflects the next few thousand years because when Yaakov goes to that that is he is the trailblazer for the Jewish people going down to exile. And even on a deeper and higher level, the soul descending into this world is the story of Yaakov going to Charon. This is already stated. Chasidis is full of this. But even before, or it's hard not to call the Urachayim a Hasidish, a sefer, even though he was not officially subscribed to chassidus, he lived at the same time of the Balshemtov, and he was a great a Sephardic uh, tzaddik, who the Balshemtov so desperately wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael and meet, so that together they can bring Mashiach. But God had different plans and didn't allow that to happen. But the Orachayim HaKodesh, this week in the parasha, in the story of Ayetzeh, Yaakov, Hebe'er describes how Yaakov going to Haran is the saga of the soul descending into this world. It's very, very, very beautiful. But in any case, Yaakov going to Haran represents a very, very great descent. Yaakov was living for the first 63 years of his life by his father Yitzchak, by his holy mother Rivka. Such tzaddikim. Yaakov lived secluded. Hitaka had a roommate, Esav, so that was a little bit of a problem. But Esav, you can understand, was probably clubbing out till three o'clock in the morning. He wasn't home too much. He was an that He was a man of the field. He was hanging out in the bars. And Yaakov was Ishaholim. He sat and he learned all day long. So he didn't really have that much communication besides once or twice when their connection didn't really work out that well, right? So Yaakov did his own thing. He's sitting and absorbed he's soaking up light he's soaking up knowledge he's studying 63 years Okay, you oh, a person goes to yeshiva <laughs> you know, say someone is on zitz in Yeshiva he's, they say there's an expression catching the bank how long you know it's time to get married he's already 30 years old he's still sitting in yeshiva learning he's got to go, go into business going Yaakov sat in yeshiva till he's 63 years and then he continued another 14 years as well there wasn't enough but 63 years he was in the house of Haran without any interruptions, studying first under his grandfather Avram Avinu till he was 13 or 15. And then after that, by Yitzhak, and then Shem and Aver, I mean, it was Mamash utopia. This was heaven for Yaakov. He reached the highest levels of purity, of knowledge, of connection to God. He comes Yaakov Avinu. Then he's gone where? He's gone to Haran. Haran is a nasty place. The very name can, sell, can send chills down one's spine. Charon means anger. It's a place that angers God. That's what the Medrash says. It's a place. And the one that he was going to live in, his host, that he was going to live in, is the the uh, the most notorious con artist ever to live. Lavan, a magician, a sorcerer, a nasty, wicked, dangerous, dangerous. You see in the Haggadah al pesach how dangerous Lavan is. The Torah says, Yabba wanted to uproot everything. And it was only mamish the pure, Hashem's promise. And you can see how scared Yaakov was to go there. How terrified he was. And the fact that God has to make him such promises and to calm him down on the, is a sign that's testament to how frightened Yaakov was. And then he felt confident after Hashem promised him, gave his promise. It was a very, very, very difficult place. And it was going to be a time where for 20 years he would not be able to study. He would not be able to in 22 years. The entire time he was employed, he had to work day and night. Whatever, of course he studied, uh, you know, orally by heart while he was doing his work. But it wasn't the same kind because he had to devote most of his resources to the work that he, to the employment, to the work that he was doing. So he was torn away from his immersement in Torah. He went down to a very, very unholy place, spirit, a place that challenge, was going to challenge his morality, his decency, his ethics, his, definitely his spirituality and his holy sensitivities and his convictions and his values. All of that was going to be threatened in a very, very big way for a long period of time. So there is a tremendous Yerida. This is a very, very... You couldn't have had a greater contrast in a person's life. And you can imagine how every day, Yaakov is bemoaning the fact, that what am I doing over here? I remember my father's house. I remember how beautiful, how wonderful, in the holy land of Eretz Yisrael. Look what's, gone, look what's happened to me. It's a terrible descent. Yet we know, that this did not damage Yaakov, quite on the contrary. As great as Yaakov was before, this increased his is his greatness, <laughs> Uh, exponentially. So now let's take a look and see what were the things in which Yaakov grew when he was away, when he was in haran What was his accomplishments? What did he grow in? So there are three particular areas where Yaakov gained when he went down. to Because there is a rule, and we have to remember this rule every day in our life, and Hasidus tries to hammer this rule in that we should know that Yerida Tsaira Aliah Every descent that there is in your life, every time you fall into hardships, and to challenges, and to difficulties, you should know that since this is God's world, we had a long discussion of this parashas Lech Lecha, that in God's world nothing can move backwards, everything is moving forward. And therefore, since this is God's world, there must be good intentions. And that one day we will see how these very, 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 very challenging times brought us to such... Greatness, things that we would have never have retained had we been comfortable and not been challenged. So what are, but, you, but we have to think a little bit, what was the aliyah that Yaakov gained when he went down to Haram? And then we can see and try to derive what is the aliyah that we happen to us when we come down into this world. Or when the Jewish people are exiled from our holy land and go to, and go to Golis. So the three primary things. Number one, the fact, the very fact that now Yaakov's um, morality and his, his, his holiness and his, his, his values um, is everything that is going to be challenged, is going to be put to the test. Okay, it's one thing to be at Tzaddik when you're learning, when you're living in Mesha Arim, secluded in a very, very holy place without any interferences. You're in Yeshiva, you're learning, you're studying. It's not such a hard thing when you're in seminary in school, surrounded by an environment of pure kedushah, of pure holiness. It's not, doesn't take that much. To be, to be, to be doing the right things. To be immersed in Torah study and in mitzvah observance, because you're just being swept along with the current of holiness that is in that place. Living in Yitzhak's house, you can't help but be holy. I mean, Esav managed to be who he was even in Yitzhak's house. But generally, especially someone who is predisposed like Yaakov to be at tzaddik, it's not a big deal that he was at tzaddik and he was studying and he was learning and he didn't waste any time. When he was when he was in Israel, however, when he goes down to Haran, and every single moment he's being challenged. Everything in Haran is in total in total opposition. Is diametrically opposed to everything Yaakov stands for. So here, in order to maintain his honesty, to maintain his 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 uh, his, uh, his morality, his ethics, his his, his especially his holiness. Yaakov has to fight, he has to fight, he has to uncover deep, deep powers of his neshama to be able to fight because there's such powerful winds that are pushing in the other direction. He's like suddenly planted in the midst of a powerful tornado or a powerful hurricane where there's 120 miles per hour winds of klippa, of unholiness, that are pushing at him every second and trying to topple him, trying to throw him down daily, 24-7 for 22 years. And he needs to fight and fight and fight. The endurance, that strength. Wow. Could you imagine how, how strong Yaakov became? How much he uncovered the deepest strength of his neshama that he would have never known had he been in in Chutzli arts. had he been I'm sorry in Eretz Yisrael in 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 pure kedusha. And that's and that's similar to the idea that we say that a baltzuvah is bigger than a tzaddik. And Ram, the Rambam explains why in, in the parak Shmoina Prakim, the Rambam explains why is a bal tshuva, um higher than a tzaddik. So the Rambam, not in Perak Shmai but in his introduction to Sefer Sanhedrin, to Shnai Sanhedrin, which is called Shmai Prakim, the Rambam over there explains that the, one of the... Last week we spoke about something else, that the Balchuvah is higher than the Tzaddik. But in, the Rambam says, because the Tzaddik did never tasted sin. He doesn't have it within his... So he doesn't really have a strong Sahara for a sin because he, he never tasted it. doesn't know what it's all about. Because of his innocence. So it's not like he doesn't have temptation. Every person is sent down to this world and has temptation. Yes, indeed, according to Hasidus, the tzaddik reaches a point where he doesn't have any temptation anymore because he eradicates the temptation. But he does have to go through a period where he has to fight. But you can't compare his fight to someone who's already been there and done that and knows the pleasures of this world. He remembers, he has in his memory already the taste Of certain non-kosher foods that might be very delicious. And they might be awakening certain cravings within within him. Because he's eaten an In-N-Out burger once in his life. And now he's hungry one day and he wants to have it again. Or he knows the taste of some other sin. Or he's been dishonest and he made money already scamming people. Or whatever. All kinds of stuff that has been in a person... uh, and he has again the temptation. He has again the opportunity to repeat the previous sin, and now he has to have an iron uh, iron will to be able to stop himself from doing that. So, therefore, the amount of energy that he has to spend, that he has to that he has to dr- uh, uh, drum up within himself to resist doing an avera, the Balshuva is working much harder than the tzaddik. Similar to that, when the, when Yaakov is going down to a place where there is temptation. It's similar. It's not exactly the same. It's similar to the Balchuvah, not exactly. The Balchuvah did the sin already. Yaakov never sinned. But the fact that now he's being exposed at least externally, to not internally, the Balchuvah has the internal struggle because he has the eight Sahara already within. Yaakov is going to have these persuasive powers from the outside. But still, it's much more and much worse rather for him than where he was when he was living in Eretz Canaan where he didn't have any of that. So that's one quality that happens when you go down to the land of Canaan. You need to dig out your, you have to realize your true strength. And that's what happened when he came to Haran. He became, and that's what the Torah speaks about, the greatness of Yaakov, After the 20 years when he was in, in, in the house of Haran, it says Yaakov came back, and he was Shalom. he was complete. Rashi says, He was complete in his Torah. And he even tells it to Esau. I lived with Lavan, and Rashi says, I still remained observant. I didn't drop One iota of my mitzvah observance. Everything. I never missed the mincha. I never missed the this. I didn't cut any corners. I remained exactly who I was before. But it took tremendous, tremendous effort on him. One accomplishment of Yaakov. Now accomplishment number two. When he came down to Haran, when he was living, 63, even later when he stayed in the house of Shem v'Emer for another 14 years till he was 77 years old. Great, wonderful tzaddik. But he's childless. He doesn't have a family. He's alone. Now he goes down to Haran. True an ugly, dark, challenging, uh, 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 um, depraved place. But look what he built over there. He got married, not once, four times. Twelve children. uh, Actually, yeah, twelve out of his his thirteen children were born to him over there if you count Dina. Eleven tribes plus Dina. He came back. Look what he, his 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 growth, just physically that he built, and and, and to, and it's not by a Jew. His his family is not just physical, physical f- physically. It's the spiritual energies of all these shvatim. All that was built. where, not in his home, Dafke and Haran. So that's gain number two, and the third gain that Yaakov got when he went down to Haran was the impact that he had on Haran. Charon was not the same when Yaakov came. Charon changed. Charon became more godly, sensitive, and God-fearing as a result of Yaakov being there. Yaakov changed Charon, which we know is the idea that Yaakov, like Rashi says in the beginning of the parasha, that when a tzaddik is in in a city, it's to shine, it has an impact on the entire, the whole city is shining because of the tzaddik. So we can understand, when Yaakov came to Haran, he brought blessings, but besides the fact that he brought material blessings, and that's why Lovah didn't want him to leave, he, 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 he brought Kedusha into Haran, he changed the place. And the words that is used in, the, in Hasidic terminology is that he refined and elevated the sparks of holiness that are in Haran. The place became elevated. How do we know that? We find that when a tzaddik owns something, when a tzaddik takes possession of something, The place itself gets elevated. It says when last week in the parash, two weeks ago, parashat Chayisara, that when Avram Avinu purchased the first real estate that was purchased to a Jew, when Avram Avinu bought the Ma'ara it says, The whole field was elevated. The field was elevated. It had, Rashi says, The place, it was lifted up. So now, when Yaakov came to Haran, now the Torah goes on to explain one of the things that happened when Yaakov was in Haran was that he converted all of the possessions of Lavan and they became his. It was all, Yaakov remained a straight shooter. It all was done through honesty. Yaakov didn't do anything of trickery. Quite on the contrary. Lavan said, I want to pay you. Because Lavan was trying to cheat him for another couple of years of work. He didn't want Yaakov to leave. So he wanted to treat him and therefore he gave him compensation, the most ridiculous compensation he was going to give him. But the Abishter's blessing, and even though Lavan, who was such a clever uh, sc- uh, scam artist, was not able to deceive Yaakov and quite of the country. All the wealth of Lavan was now transported and became Yaakov's. What does that mean? Lavan's possessions. Now Lavan is a klipa g'daylo. You can say it in other words, a klipa shfela, A lowly, dark human being. And all of his possessions, all of his money was now transformed from being Lavan's and they became Yaakov's possessions. When they became Yaakov's possessions, they became elevated, they became holy. The Gemara tells us that even the donkey of Rapinchis ben Yair, of one of the sages, would not eat, would have the sensitivity, would not eat if if the grains were not tithed. That means that there was a sensitivity of the tzaddik, the Yeroshamayim, the God-fearingness of the tzaddik, was sensed even in his donkey that he wouldn't eat to. Can you imagine the sheep of Yaakov, how well in addition it says that all the Nishamas of the tzaddikim, especially the students of the Baal Tov, were the flocks, who were going to shepherd the Jewish people in the darkest times of Golas, right before Mashiach comes, were incarnated in those sheep that were by Lava. But what do you see from here? That Yaakov made such a transformation. He elevated the sparks of holiness. And what does the Pesach say? The man became very, very, very wealthy. It says about Yaakov. What does that mean? It doesn't only mean physically he became wealthy. It means his soul was enriched when he was able to take all the possessions of Haran and Lavan and turn it into his possession, the conversion of the dark elements of this world, of the elements of the Haronian stuff, and turn it into Kedusha, turn it into the possessions of Yaakov, that enriched his neshama and it became even greater than that which we said earlier that Yaakov is discovering within himself the deepest resources of his own soul. He's even more enriched As we're soon going to see, by that which he was able to convert from the dark elements of Haran and turn them into Kedusha. These are three things that happened to Yaakov as a result of going to Haran. Now we're going to see, now this is true when the neshama comes down into this world. So as I said earlier from the Arachim HaKadosh when Yaakov goes out Yaakov is the Neshama and he goes out to Me'er Shava because the Neshama when it is in heaven is called it's in a spring because water represents godliness and the Neshama is soaking in the waters of the divine of Hashem and then from and also Sheva Shava means an oath because before the Neshama leaves its heavenly abode they administer an oath to the Neshama and the Arachaim says and we're immediately Vayela Charana the Neshama goes down to a place Charan he goes down to a place of Sahara that's what he says haran haran is a place a thing that gets that's, 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 that's full of anger which means it's trying to anger God that's the Sahara. and our haim explains Vayifka that when the neshama comes down the first thing it needs to do when it realizes that it's going to share its life with this evil inclination you know a person needs to know how powerful the evil inclination is and never think that we have the strength to overcome it and therefore Vayifka the first thing you need to do is to pray Davin, that Hashem should help you. And how long do you have to Davin? Vayol and Sham, the entire night. Which means throughout the entire life, until, until the night comes, the, the night when the neshama goes back, until that time, one should daven the entire time. Then the Arachim says, Vayikach he tooks from the stones of the place, the stones are representing Torah. To protect yourself from the sahara, the only way is through constant Torah study. And they're called stones, I'm not going to get into why the words of Torah are called stones. And then he says, So he puts it around his head, is what the sages say, another advice, When you're here in this world and you suddenly experience intense or extreme temptation and you feel that you're slipping, what do you do? Read the Shema. That's what it says. Yikra Kriya Shema. Re, now reconfirm God's unity and attach yourself to Hashem. So if he put it around his head. That's Kriya shama. And then the last thing is, and he lie down. The Rachaim says, if all of that doesn't work, remember that you're not going to live forever. That's what the Gemara says. If you're tempted by a temptation, think about the day that one day you're going to have to do a reckoning in front of God and your life, the physical life, is going to end. That's the idea. I'm just bringing this Chaim parenthetically. Just the idea is that this whole story is a a story of the neshama just like it is the story of Yaakov. Good. And when neshama comes into this world, it's a very, very, very great descent. But it has the same three gains that Yaakov had. Let's go one by one. The first thing is because the neshama, when it was in heaven, had no obstacles. It was bathing in God's light. The entire it was enjoying the radiance of the Shekhinah, and had no nothing obscuring it. So for it to be holy and godly was no problem. The Nishama in heaven is a tzaddik. It says in Hasidus, the reason the Nishama comes down into this world is so the Nishama can become a Balchuva. How does the Nishama become a baltuvah by coming down over here? Again, what's the quality of the bal even if it never sins? Becoming a baltuvah doesn't mean that you have to sin and become a Balchuva. It means you have to take on the style of a Balchuva. What does a Balchuva have to do? A Balchuva has to fight because he has such internal conflict because he has such a desire to repeat his sins because he's done the sins already and now he needs to fight very strongly to be able to overcome them so to every neshama coming into a body coming into an animal soul with a Yetzirah, with a body with all the temptations that we find especially if we're living in not the holiest most godliest places in the world like over here in California not necessarily the holiest place there's so much things that are distracting and so much that is trying to pull us in the wrong direction, in order to maintain, to be a Jew the way you're supposed to, you really, 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 really need to fight. And by doing that, you uncover the true strength, you realize the true depth of your connection. How strong are you connected to Hashem? If we will put five pounds of weights... Pulling you down. Will that succeed in schlepping you down? No, you'll beat that. How about you beat that? Now let's add another more weight. Now let's put 10 pounds of pressure pushing you in the other direction. Can you handle that? Yes, I can handle that. Then we double it and it becomes 20 pounds of klipa of unholiness trying to Push your neshama. You can see in person's life, you might have been living in a nice neighborhood and suddenly because of whatever happens, you're uprooted and you come to a place where it's more difficult. You don't have that wonderful shul you used to daven in. You don't have that support system like you used to have. You find yourself in an isolated place, a spiritually parched neighborhood. There's no one to inspire you. And now you have to fight on your own. And it's very easy to just go with the flow. But you're not going to do so. You're going to daven, you're going to learn, you're going to be a Jew the way you're supposed to do. All of this... Calls for the deep powers of the neshama So that's one gain That the neshama gains By coming down Similar to Yaakov As we said earlier That he realized How strong Yaakov is same, same as also The neshama realizes How strong the neshama is The next thing is When the neshama is in heaven It's perfect It's wonderful She's a perfect soul But she's childless She comes into this world And she has generations Meaning to say Not just physical children When the neshama comes into this world It learns Torah And it does mitzvahs so the Torah and the mitzvahs that the neshama gets when it comes, the opportunity, the ability to learn Torah and do mitzvahs, the mitzvahs that we do are called children. They're called children. Why? Because just like children or connect you to the infinite, as a result of children, you will go on and on and on because your children will have children and continue with generations and generations. Excuse me. So too the neshama comes down into this world and it does mitzvahs with through the mitzvahs the neshama Eternalizes itself for all of eternity because it connects itself to something godly that is only available when the nishama is down here. That's gain number two. And finally, gain number three. When the nishama comes down over here, it leaves an impression on the world. It changes the world. Every nishama that comes into this world has an impact on the world. When the nishama leaves this world, this physical world dark world becomes just a bit more sensitive and refined and more inviting for god to live in this world every nishama every nishama has some lot of an influence on this world some people more some people less a neshama comes down into this world and it begins to refine. It infuses godly consciousness into this world, thereby changing the very substances of the physical world. Refining. Now obviously, this is the more Torah and mitzvahs we do, the more Torah we study, and primarily mitzvahs we do, we influence this, this, we have more impact in taking the physical substances of our world and making them instruments of godliness. Now, out of all three accomplishments that the neshama gains by coming down into this world, which one is the most enriching? Which one is the deepest? So we would think maybe the first one, the fact that you uncover how strong you are, but that's not the case. Or we would think maybe the Torah Mitzvahs. No. It's the transformation of what is outside of you. The physical objects of this world, when they become holy, there's nothing greater than that. Why? Because that is what God dreams of. The desire of the Abishter, of Hashem Himself, that God created the world to begin with, is because God wanted to have a dwelling place in this world. He desired to have a dark world, a world that obscures and conceals and hides Him, a world that when you look at it, doesn't seem to have any relationship to a Creator. That's what physicality is. Physicality doesn't express anything but its brute existence. You see, spirituality, anything spiritual says something. You see, an idea or an emotion, is here to express something. But but the matter, matter is, it doesn't, what am I? I just am. What's a stone? It just is. It's not about something, it is. It serves itself. I mean, now we can take it and use it for something. But in it of itself, it just is. And by by it proclaiming existence just because, it is the biggest apicurus, meaning to say the biggest denier of the ultimate truth that there's nothing but God and that God, is, that God is everything. Here it claims I am. It's a contradiction to God's unity. And God wants us to blast through the material physical world and to change that, that Daska, the physical world, should become the most reflecting of God's unity and God's oneness. And that is the greatest accomplishment of the Nishama when it is here in this world. Fine. Three things. Now let's take this a step further. That work that we do to, to, uh, to, in this world divides itself primarily in two categories. You see, we have three possibilities of actions we can do in, in our life. But one of them we shouldn't be doing. So the, ra- the, uh, the others, are our lives are divided into two possibilities. Two types of activities that we do. So the three possibilities are, we can either do that which we're commanded to do, a good deed, a mitzvah, a holy thing. Or chas one can be doing something that we're not supposed to be doing, we're not allowed to do. And then there is the permissible. It's not a mitzvah, but it's also not forbidden. Okay? That's all of all action and all activity goes into one of these three categories. Either it's a positive thing you're supposed to do, either it's a negative thing you're not allowed to do it, or God doesn't... It's not prohibited. it's kosher, you're allowed to. It's not a mitzvah, it's not a holy thing. Now, the main accomplishment of the neshama in this world is obviously it's not to sin, that that not, okay? If chas v'shalom there's sin, okay, then we can do tshuva, we're not going to talk about that, that's out. The main accomplishment of the neshama in this world is in both these two arenas, in the mitzvahs that it does, and in the permissible things. Because one might argue and say, permissible things, okay, that's nothing to do with your purpose, you're just living life. You're eating, you're drinking, you're sleeping, you're doing shopping, you're, 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 you're involved in whatever else, you're doing business, these are just private things. But it's not the case. We're going to analyze this for now for a moment, that actually, the most important moments of your life are not when you're doing mitzvahs, the most important moment in which you can accomplish the greatest accomplishments for why Yenoshama came down into this world is precisely when you're engaged in the, the mundane activities that are not a mitzvah, things that you're doing for yourself. Because there is one simon in Shulchan Aruch that people forget, but it is a very crucial simen in Shulchan Aruch, a, a a part of code of Jewish law. And that is that no matter what you do, you have to add godly intention is no such a thing as having a moment of off time when you're just doing something for yourself. Every moment of life needs to be permeated with the MS that God is everywhere and in everything, so you can't forget Him. So even if you're engaged in just putting on your shoes or combing your hair, there needs to be an intention of why you're doing that, how does this have to do something with Hashem. So I'm calling my hair, so I should look like a man, so I can influence people in a good way. I'm wearing shoes, so that I can go out on the street, and go to shul, or do a mitzvah, or do this or do that. And same as with eating and stuff. Kol Masacha yieh shamayim, or even deeper than that, Bechol de de'ehu, and all your deeds you should know. Now, interesting. The, we spoke early that there are three accomplishments that an esham accomplishes when it's here in this world. Three gains. One of them is Torah and mitzvah. So the Torah and mitzvah gain is you—you you, you have that's called your children. That accomplishment, of course, you're only accomplishing when you're learning Torah and when you're doing a mitzvah. Let's put that to the side. But we have mentioned earlier that there are two other major accomplishments, which are number one, you become a bal tshuva, meaning to say, down here is when you're challenged and you have to dig deep inside yourself in order to overcome the temptation and to do the right thing, right? So you become much stronger, that's number one. And number two, you take the, the lowly physical things of this world and you, and you exploit them for holiness. You use them. Things that are, that are in, a, in a negative state, not, not unrelated to Hashem, and you use them to kedush Fine. And by doing that, you're elevating this world. You're making a home for Hashem in this world. Now in both these things, we'll, I, we'll, we'll, we'll take a few moments over here to explore why we accomplish these more when we're involved in mundane activity than when we're involved in a mitzvah. And the idea is as follows. You see, when you're doing a mitzvah, I would think, um, let's first talk about the second, the last idea, which is what? That we make this world holy. How do you make this world holy? I think it's very simple. There's nothing like making this world holy than taking a hide of an animal and turning it into tefillin. Or turning it into Sefer Torah or doing a mitzvah, taking oil and lighting Shabbos candles or Hanukkah candles, Hanukkah lamps, you're making literally, you're taking substances of this world and you're saying, and you're unifying them with God. There's no greater meaning a dwelling place of connecting God to the world like a mitzvah. But not so really. It is true, but it's not the ultimate dwelling of God in the lowly world. You know why? Because when you're doing a mitzvah, you automatically took something of this world and made it sacred. So where is God dwelling? He's dwelling in this world in where? In a sacred pocket of this world. You realize that, re- that this piece of leather that you turned into tefillin, is people don't look at it as a regular physical object. Everybody knows that this is a holy thing. This is not a regular physicality, this is special. So people know it's different. Physicality, once you've dedicated something to a mitzvah, yes, the act of dedication, this is a fine point, the act of dedication itself is you're taking something low and you're picking it up. But once you've done it, where is God dwelling? In a low thing or in something that was once low but now it's high? It's something that was once low but now it's an elevated thing. You hear? However, When you are having a a godly intention, when you're eating lunch on a regular Tuesday, where there's nothing in your life at that moment that's calling for something godly or holy, you are eating food, that's all you're doing. Or you are shopping now. And why are you shopping? Is this a sacred moment of your life? No, it's the most ordinary everyday moment of life. This is exactly what is irking God about the lowly world. Not irking it, he created it on tension like that. But this is exactly the moment that is the most contradictory to God's unity. What? That you're doing your thing. You're eating lunch, you're, you're, you're shopping, you're combing your hair, you're, you're driving your car, you're going on vacation. You, whatever it is, you're doing your thing. You're involved in an activity and in a moment that is, seems to be totally unrelated to Hashem. And here's where Yenoshama wakes up and says, Wow, can't be, can't be, it can't be, it can't be, there's no place devoid of God. It cannot be that there should be a space right now where there's nothing else happening besides me and my tuna sandwich. It can't be. That means that this place has, is, 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 is empty. Hashem is not here. Ah, so why am I eating I'm eating, so then I'll eat this. Now studied, I'll have the energy to do a mitzvah and to learn and serve my Creator. Here is where God entered the lower tier t- 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 of creation. Here is where God entered into a regular mundane moment that has, it's not, see, see I, I, to understand that a little better, the fact that you're singing Zemiris, Shabbos by a Shabbos meal. Everybody behaves differently by your Shabbos meal because Shabbos is elevated time. A Shabbos meal is a mitzvah meal. So the fact that you're speaking words of Torah by the meal, and, it's a, it's a, and you're saying Kiddush, and whatever, okay, fine. So it, it is in the physical world, but it's a mountaintop in the physical world. It's not a valley. But then there are all the valleys of physical life, all the ordinary moments of physical life. What's with those moments? When you know God then, then you're making the most mundane of moments holy. Then you really accomplished that Hashem should have a dwelling place in His lowly world. So we understand how accomplishment number three is mainly accomplished when in ordinary elements of life where we keep our mind focused on serving Hashem. Now let's go to accomplishment number one. What did we say earlier? What else happens to a neshama when it comes down in this world? What happens to a soul? It needs to dig deep to maintain its connection. It needs to fight. It needs to hold on strong. It needs to discover. It needs to flex its muscles. It needs to really power up its deepest resources because now it's challenged. So let's see, where is a person challenged the most? You'll say, well, just being physical in this physical world is a challenge. Doing a mitzvah is a very big challenge. You're laying in bed. You're on the couch. You don't want to get up to go to shul. You don't want to daven mincha. You don't want to uh, whatever. You don't want to uh, study now. You don't want to do the... You're stingy at this moment. You feel very, 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 very much. You feel very selfish. You want to keep your money for yourself. Meanwhile, someone is asking you and they really need help for something and you don't want to part from your money. Oh, giving tzedakah. It's difficult. So, over here, you got a real, and when you, if you were in a shaman gane, then someone asked you for tzedakah in a second, because a soul in heaven, of course it wants, but over here, you're dealing with an ego. You're wrapped up in an ego, you're wrapped up in a body that's lazy and tired and depressed and, and whatever else are all the characteristics of the body. Oh, so doing a mitzvah takes an enormous strength. Yes, but, but, it takes a moment of overcoming to crack your external shell of ego, of self-centeredness, to enter into your neshama. But once you decide to do the mitzvah, while you're doing the mitzvah, you're not in the territory of your ego and your animal soul because you've just suspended your animal soul to be quiet for a moment and you're entered into your godly soul territory. The godly soul is the one operating the mitzvah. Your neshama wants to do this thing. It's not your body that wants to. It's not your your, your animalistic side that wants to do it. So the fact that right now, you're, 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 you're doing the mitzvah, is showing strength, how strong your neshama is, because it was able to overcome that which was pushing it in the other direction. In order in order for you to be able to get to the place of the mitzvah. But once you're doing the mitzvah, it's smooth sailing. Because your nisham is now in control. Your nisham is now calling the shots. You're in the realm. Your nisham is in the driver's seat. But hear this. Hear this what's happening. Now, however, you're involved in doing business. And we all know how deeply excited and how emotional and how fired up we get in business. Because we're going to work, we get excited, we, we work so hard, we're going to make a deal, we're going to make a lot of money, we're real excited about it. So who's in the driver's seat now? Who's passionate about making, those, making that profit? Who's excited about that, that uh, uh, salami sandwich? Who's excited about, whatever it is, whatever it is that you do, who's excited about going shopping? Who's excited about that vacation that you're taking? Or whatever it is that you're doing. It's your animal soul. It's, and guess what? You need to maintain your godly awareness. A person should be able to maintain their godly awareness even while their animal is at doing its animal thing. You, we understand that the pressure now to forget about God is so much stronger than when you're in mitzvah mode. Because right now, you're in animal mode. Because your animal mode is, your animal soul is what's generating it. To be able to maintain, even in the midst, as we said earlier, of a powerful gust of a tornado wind while it's happening, and yet to be able to put your foot down and say, this act is going to be with a godly intention. That's where the real power, heroic, unbelievable power of the neshama, Comes out follow right there's a couple of points over here that we need to we need to keep everybody in sync over here so now again we spoke of I'm just going to do a little review we spoke of three accomplishments that there is when an ashama comes down in a body and how two of those accomplishments that we had just spoken about are primarily um, are primarily accomplished in the work in which we're doing mundane activity in our daily, everyday, run-of-the-mill things that we do, but we do them as a Jew, and recognizing that I'm a servant of God and there needs to be something godly in what we're doing. Okay? Fine. Now, but there is another thing. As great, and here's a very, very important point, as great as the strength of your neshama that you're displaying when you're able to maintain an awareness of Hashem in the midst of the, when your animal soul is throwing a party, in the midst of your animal soul getting all excited about Gashmias, you're able, as great as that is, it's still not as great as the ability to be able to take the physical material things themselves and make them holy. See, what we're talking about is two things over here. We just mentioned the fact that you maintain your connection, you don't forget about God while you're doing a mit- while you're involved in gashmiistic things, material things. But there's another Indian. The Indian, the thing is that the, as we mentioned, the third thing that the physicality itself becomes refined, it becomes elevated. Which one is a greater accomplishment? So, it's here's it here. So so, they, so. When a person is 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 um, displaying their ability to live in a physical body, running, doing all the chores that, so to speak, a non-Jew does as well. But as a Jew, you're doing it all with, with a godly intention, in which you're displaying such might and such strength. That's the realization of how powerful your neshama clings to God. How powerful do you cling to God? Wow. I cling to Hashem so strong that even when I'm challenged with such a difficult, there's so much um, of so much pressure pushing in the other direction, I'm still holding on. I'm still clinging. So it's displaying how strong my grip is. I am holding on to God. Now, being that it's your strength, true, it's your neshama strength. True, it's the deepest neshama strength, but it's still your strength. So it's not true, limitless, infinite, endless power. The real, true, infinite and boundless power that the neshama has when it's here in this world is as a result of taking the material, physical things of this world and making them godly. Why? You see... The the fact that a neshama clings to God all the time, even though it is under such pressure, is not such a novelty. Why is it not such a novelty? You can all figure out, because after all it's a neshama. That's what a neshama is all about. A neshama is a piece of God from above. A neshama is a holy being. So a neshama will hold on to Hashem despite the fact that it has so much working against it. So it's, it's enormous. We we're wowed by the power of it. But it's still not the real, real chiddush. The real, real chiddush, the real novelty is when objects of this world that were created by God, let's understand this, they were created by who? By God they were created to, have, to be in a state where they have nothing to do with Him. God created them that way. God created them, not only that they shouldn't have anything to do with Him, He created them, oh, she, of course I don't mean they don't have anything to do with Him, they, they don't express that they have anything to do with Him. Not only that, but that they should, they should actively cover and block and conceal their relationship with Hashem. They should be, that's, what the, and that's everything in this world, because this world is called from the word olam. What does olam mean? Concealment. So Hashem created this entity, whether it's an apple, whether it's a cherry, whether it's a stone, whether, whatever it is, Hashem created this entity. And this entity is by its very definition antithetical to God's unity. That's what it is. How in the world does this thing become now completely metamorphosized and an instrument to express Hashem when it's at the very, it goes against its very definition of what it is? That's an impossibility. How does a neshama accomplish it? How does a neshama take the objects on this world and turn them around and make them holy? That's an impossibility. You know how it's done? That's not the power of the Nishama, That's the power of God's infinity. You see, if there is something in this world that cannot display God because it is so dense that God's light cannot shine through it, what does that say about God's infinite power? Is that there is something that blocks it. What does that say about Hashem's unity? Is Hashem's unity perfect? No. There isn't one area that where Hashem's unity isn't there. So, but, but, so therefore, because Hashem is infinite, and Hashem is boundless, there cannot be that there should be something that is not included in God's unity. But Hashem did create it, that for the temporary, till Mashiach comes, it should, it should be contradicting his unity. Until a neshama will come. And a neshama will now have the task, what does the neshama have to do now? The neshama has to now tap into, not its strength, not the neshama's strength, because the neshama's strength is limited. The neshama has to now tap into a strength to a strength that's much bigger than herself. Whose strength does the neshama have to tap into? It has to tap into God's omnipotence and God's infinite power. And as a result of the Nishama tapping into Hashem's power, and Hashem cannot be blocked by anything, that you can apply that infinite light of Hashem to an object. When you have in mind Lashem Shamayim, and what you're doing, you're carrying God's unity through and through, and you're borrowing a hole or you're breaking through something that is, by its very definition cannot be godly, and yet it becomes godly. So here you see how the neshama has now transcended her own self. You see till now the first account, in becoming a Balchuva and and the neshama displaying its endurance. The neshama doesn't transcend. I, I think I think we have we have very good words for this now. Very pay attention to understand. The first thing is the neshama realizes its power, not transcends its power, realizes its power. The second accomplishment of the Nishama is that the Nishama transcends her own power. Yeah, She transcends her power and she becomes unified with God's power. Now, listen, now as soon as the Nishama transcends herself and yet becomes unified with God's power to change an object, to change something physical and turn it into godly, once the Nishama did that for the object, since she was the one who did that, it happens to the Nishama. As well, the neshama itself also becomes attached to God, not by her own strength, but by God's strength. In other words, until now the neshama is holding on to, the, to Hashem with her power. Now she is being held on to Hashem with God's power. So now the neshama's unity with Hashem is on God's terms, not on the neshama's terms, which is infinitely stronger than it was before. That's why what happened. What does the Torah say? What happened to Yaakov Avinu? as a result of the Sheep of Lavan, The man became, he ex-great, very much, because the, the fact that he was able to take the, the elements of Haran, and make them godly, made him so much, elevated his neshama, to so, so much of a deeper connection, to Hashem because it's not, it's not, It isn't anymore Yaakov revealing who he is. Yaakov is now becoming included in God's infinite power, attaching himself to Hashem's infinite power. Good. Now let's take that even a step further. After the neshama reveals God's unity in this world, the next stage is she accomplishes something even higher. God's dream that God wanted to have a dwelling in this world is realized now. So that's, that's, isn't that what we just said? No, that's another thing. Because it's one thing that the neshama is able to reveal Hashem and everything by tapping into Hashem's, Hashem's infinite light and thereby revealing godliness in this world. Now there's something else. The fact that, the, that this, this job is what Hashem wants and when we say Hashem wants it, in Hasidis it explains, this desire that God has to have a dwelling place in this world comes from the quintessence of God Himself. Once the neshama satisfied that desire, she's elevated even higher because now she realized the dream of what the Ebershter wants, of God Himself, and thereby the neshama is now attached to what's called the quintessence of God, to atzmos, to the very essence of the Ebershter Himself. Why is this even greater to what we said before? Because earlier when we spoke about the Nishama doing its job to transform this world, the Nishama is connecting to God's infinite light. Now, infinite is not God Himself. Infinite is a characteristic of God. It's one of His, so to speak, not talents. Or one of His, one of. But Hashem transcends all definitions. Even this, that He's infinite. There's no way to connect. See, when the Nishama is doing the magic of changing this world, it's connecting to Hashem's infinite light, not to the essence. But because that work is what God wants, and now the neshama is satisfied that desire, now the neshama is even higher and even deeper unified with the Eberster himself. Fine. Look at this. Unbelievable. The neshama has gone from step to step. Higher and higher. First realizing its own potential. Then unifying with God's infinite light to transform the darkness of this world and make it into Kadusha. And now going even a step further, satisfying Hashem's desire in having that done. And by having that done, the neshama is even deeper and unified with God. But now, there's even something more important than why the neshama came into this world. And you say, what can be now? We've done everything already. Now we stop thinking about the neshama. Because till now we're talking about what does the neshama gain. Now let's stop with all that and this is the most important part of this shir. Let's stop with all of that. Something else happened by the neshama coming down in this world. And what is that? Something that God desired was realized. See till now even though I spoke about this earlier. God's desire. Till now we spoke about the idea that the neshama fulfilled God's desire so she's elevated. Stop with the neshama now. Let's put that to the side. The neshama being elevated higher, high, gvaldig, wonderful. But there's something above and beyond that all. Something altruistic. Something. Way, it's not about what you're going to achieve, or even the highest level, or even becoming one with God, even that. That's still you. And still, what's happening to you? There is a fact. There is a fact that has been realized by the neshama being in this world, and doing a mitzvah and so on. The eibishter's desire has been realized. Period. Stop. There's nothing else. Nachas ruach. A nachas ruach has happened to Hashem that His will was fulfilled. Who did it? You, she, the other one. It's irrelevant. It was done. That is so much more than anything that's happening to us as a result of what we're doing. It's the very fact that it happened. Now the question is, okay, so now, once we know that, now let's go back quickly to the psukim. And Mamish, in a few minutes we're going to figure out what's the argument with Ramban and Rashi and how does, how does this all fit in, these, in, this, in this nether. So let's see right now. When Yaakov Avinu makes a condition and then he makes a promise. Remember we said there's two things. There is a condition and then there is a promise. So we have to understand it like this. The conditions that he's talking about is not just he wants blessings from Hashem. The conditions are the work that he's going to do in this world. When Hashem says, I'm, when he asks God for clothing, it doesn't mean just clothing. We'll see soon, it means mitzvahs. There is the work that he is doing, and then there is the, what's the promise? The promise is the end result. What is the end result of a in this world? What does it accomplish? That's the promise that Yaakov is giving to Hashem. I'm going to give you this end result. This is what I'm giving to you. The end result. Okay, So the promise is the end result. The Conditions are the work that it takes in order to get to that end result. So now, let's see what they are. When we spoke about, um, when we said part of the work, so let's go now to the conditions. The conditions that Yaakov Avinu says is, let's see, let's go through the things. Yaakov makes a promise. So the first pasuk, and he will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. The first pasuk, that's talking about the avoda of the neshama in this world, in Torah and in mitzvahs. Why? The first thing he says is, God, will you protect me? That's through observing the losase, which are things that protect the neshama from harm, from, from falling into the traps of the klipa and the of the dark forces of, of creation. So that's the first thing, protect me from the negative. So first of all, we need Hashem's assistance that we shouldn't sin. Secondly, the mere fact that God didn't leave it up to us to figure out what what we shouldn't do, and He gave us clear instructions on what we shouldn't do, that means that that's what Yaakov accomplished. He says, Hashem, please guide me on what is bad I shouldn't do. Fine. Then He says, give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. So the bread to eat and the clothing to wear, that's the Torah and the mitzvahs. Torah is called bread, mitzvahs are called garments. So that's... The accomplishment of the neshama, what did we say earlier? That's stage number two. What was stage number two? The neshama comes into this world and it can learn Torah and do mitzvahs. That's in the first pasik. The next pasik, when it says, "Vishafti I'm going to return in peace to my father's house, is talking about the first accomplishment that we said earlier when neshama comes down to this world, it becomes a bal tshuva, And that's what it means. I will return to my father. By doing what? By fighting my way through in a place that wants to separate me from my father's house, which means from Hashem. A place that wants to threaten my connection. But Vishasti, I will return. I will return through what? Sarashi so says I did not I, I will not learn from Lovan's bad ways. What does that mean? While we're engaged with the Lovan is a deceiver, he's a liar. What is the ultimate deception? All physical material things. They're the love on. They're the love on our These are all the deceiving elements of this world that want us, make us forget that there is God. Right now, you're enjoying, you're enjoying your, your, your pizza. Enjoy it. Now, right now, there's nothing exists. Pizza with um, whatever you put on the pizza, mushrooms and whatever. Uh, and that's what is right now. That's what physicality is trying to do. It's trying to swallow you up that you should lose yourself and become the pizza. Totally, you know, there's no trace of, of your Jewishness. Nothing left of your godly connection. Oh, so you're now right now, you need a fight. Vishdi Bashalom, I will not get I will not get dragged down by Lovan. I won't allow that to happen. I will maintain my connection. That's the work, as we said earlier, of permissible things. Then, hear this. I'm gonna skip the next few words. Bahayashem Lila Lokim, because that's the that's the questionable words. Then we're gonna go to the last thing. What does Yaakov say? as a result of Torah and mitzvahs, and as a result of of all the work we do in this world, what's going to be the product? What's going to be the final, ultimate result? Hear this, because you wonder also when you read this, such a big deal, I'm going to take the stone and I'm going to make it a house for God. Wow! No! That's the whole purpose. It's the most material of material, which is a stone, the most earthy of earthy, which is the most physical in its most brutal, most, most con, uh, uh, dense form, that becomes a house for God. Physicality is, that's the whole purpose. The, you see from Yaakov, you see Yaakov in hasidus, The purpose of life is physicality should become a home for Hashem. This, that this is a home for God. God has what He wants, a home in this world. Now let's go back to the words what does that mean? And God will be to me as a God. What is that? That is talking about all the consequential elevations that happen to the neshama as a result of doing its work. We spoke earlier that, oh look what happens to the neshama. It comes down, it realizes its own strength. Elevation number one. It comes down, it learns Torah and mitzvahs. Elevation number two. It comes down, it transforms the Gashmias into spirituality. Elevation number three. It realizes God's, day, which is infinite, transcends itself completely, it's infinite. It realized God's dream, it became subsumed in God's essence. Oh, elevation number four. These are all elevations in what? Vahaya Hashem li lelokim. Hashem is to me, He's my God. Meaning my attachment to God will become enhanced. Now the question is, Rashi and Ramban, we all have a question. What does that belong? Where does that, is that part of the conditions we need in order to be able to get our work done? Or is that part of the promise, which means that's the ultimate objective of life? You hear? That God should have a home in this world, that's definitely the objective of life. The question is, your elevation as a human being, getting closer to Hashem and being elevated... Is that too equal with God having a home in this world? And therefore this itself is also the aliyah Shama as a result of its work in this world. Is that too a, 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 um, uh, the, the purpose? Is that too the neder? That's the objective. Or that is a precondition. We need. It's a necessary. You need to be elevated to greater heights in order for you to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish. That's the Machlechus. Because really the question is, in the face of God having a desire and you being elevated, which can we even pay attention to that? that I'm elevated. How important is that? And here is what I meant right in the beginning of class when I said the richness of Hasidus. The fact that we're even having this discussion with regular people. Do you realize that all in the rest of Yiddishkeit before you learn Hasidus, of course it's all about you. Don't even do that. You become You'll learn. You're, you're going to reach perfection. You'll be elevated. You'll be a tzaddik. You'll get all the mahaba. You'll read. You'll, you'll. That's what you hear all the time. That's what I heard in yeshiva all the time. Until you start learning Hasidis and chassidus, stop already. It's not about you. It's about the thing. But the fact that after, that we can even have a discussion. Can you even have a little bit? We understand that Hasidis tells us that there is elevation. There's elevation. But the question is, can you in any way put that? In front of a person and say that's the objective, and even the way Chassidus talks about elevation. See how refined it talks about elevation. It's not about you having a lot of Olam Haba. It's about you becoming attached to God till you lose yourself completely in His infinite light. Yet, but even that is still you. Is that is that is that worthy of the ultimate of the ultimate thing? Well, Rashi, who was a simple yid because Rashi is writing his pirush in the realm of simplicity, taps into the simple quintessential truth. And the simple quintessential truth is that the purpose of creation is one thing. God should have a dwelling place in this world. And therefore, anything out but that cannot be part of the nether. V'hoi Hashem lila lokim is important. It's everything. I'm not even, I'm going to say it's more than a fringe benefit. It's, 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 it's an unavoidable, wonderful consequence of all your work that you do. It's wonderful, it's good. But this cannot be the, the objective. The objective is not you. The objective is what? that The fact that God has a home in this world, that's the objective. Now, now... Ramban. Ramban, however, who is more of a mystic and therefore is more sophisticated in his purush. Once you're talking to sophisticated people, sophisticated people get lost a little bit in sophistication. And when you get lost in sophistication, I don't mean that in a negative way, sophistication takes you away sometimes from the core, 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 basic, pure, deep nishama feel that nothing matters but God's will. It's like the difference between a simple servant and a more sophisticated servant. A, a sophisticated servant who appreciates he understands the greatness of his master enjoys the fact that he's a servant and he enjoys the fact that I am close to my master and he thinks like, wow, look how wonderful it is that I'm so I can be close. So when he's doing his work, there's a little bit of the pleasure and the enjoyment of his own that he is so close. The simple servant has no feeling, no nothing about his master. And, and so the, the only thing that he because he doesn't, doesn't understand that. So it's not his own. What's important by the simple servant is one thing. Bottom line. The, the master wanted something and it got done. So the Ramban sees Vahoy hashem. Now, there is there is another point over here, but the sheer has to end because I'm going already over time. Um, so I'm gonna have to, but but really, the reason why Ramban, it's not a mistake, Has. The reason why Ramban puts Vahoya Hashem Lakim as ultimate objective, which means alias neshama, as a result of that as ultimate objective, because ultimately you can't make for God a home in this world, which requires total nullification. See, making a home for a God in this world means that the physical world becomes a home for Hashem in a manner where it allows God to be and that everything and there's nothing but Him. That's what it is. Only physicality can express that Spirituality cannot, explet, cannot express The ultimate exclusivity of Hashem Only the physical can express that But since the human being is the one who has to do it So the human being also has to do it as In a state where the human being is also totally nullified And therefore, what did we speak earlier? What's the, what's the gain of being elevated? The more elevated you become Not the more you become the more elevated you become, the more of a nothing you become. Understand? The more connected you become, the more not you become. Ah, so it comes out that to make a home for God, it requires elevation of soul. Since it requires the ultimate elevation and attachment to Hashem, to make a... Therefore, Ramban says, that itself, since it's the... It's the, necessity, it's the necessary component to make a dwelling place for Hashem in this world, it too is part of the dwelling place. And therefore, it too could be seen as the ultimate objective. Because without that total fusion with Hashem, you couldn't be enough of a nothing. You need that unity to be the ultimate non-entity to be able to bring bittul in this world and make the world become totally nullified to God's absolute truth. And therefore, Ramban says that v'hoi Hashem lila Lukim This too can. can, Rashi knew that as well, but Rashi, because Rashi was in the realm of pshat, this is already too. This is sophisticated. This is this is for already Hamas, This is already for a sophisticated person. Simple people know one thing. The Abishter is important. And his will needs to happen. And beyond that, I don't want to know of anything. Alias I don't care anything. What I want is only one thing. Yaakov says, you, God, will have your home. That's my promise. There will be a bunch of things that will happen on the way. That's wonderful. We'll enjoy that. We'll celebrate that. But my eyes are on the goal, and what's the goal? You, Hashem, will have a home in this world. And that's what really counts. May we merit that it, we should see already that Evan Azois, Shesanti Matseva, Yea and we merit to see it now. La noche es navas boy en mi corazón. Ay ay ay. La noche es navas fría, la noche es navas la noche es navas fría, va boy en mi corazón. na costa, La boy en mi corazón. Das soy na costa,